0: Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. All right. Welcome to St. John's. I'm Pastor Jeff Datisman. We're glad you're with us this morning. I want to welcome those that are worshiping with us online. As we come into this uh, Sunday morning, we want you to know that the theme this morning is continuing uh, navigating difficult questions. And today we come to the, the question of uh, why, God? Uh, why me when, when pain and, and difficulty come our way? And, and where do we turn when uh, it seems like our prayers are unanswered? And so that's where we're going today. We invite you just to to center yourselves in God's presence as we open our worship.
1: Scripture readings this morning. The first, 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 10. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And Psalm 121, 1 through 8, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
0: So I would just read these words for us together. I believe in the sun even when it's not shining. I believe in love even when I don't feel it. I believe in God even when God is silent. It's based on an inscription that was found during World War II in a, in a cellar in Cologne, Germany, believed to be written by Jews in hiding. And today we, we step into that difficult area of what is happening or where is God? Where do I turn when our prayers are unanswered? Twenty-three years ago, um, Susan and I had a season Uh, where God was silent. Our fourth child, due uh, shortly, ended up stillborn. It it was full term. Uh, Susan noticed uh, nothing moving, and after nine months of a lot of movement and jostling inside, uh, we went to the doctor, and our worst fears were realized. Our baby had died a a few days short of the planned delivery, and our family that was looking forward to Welcoming a little boy home was devastated. Monday morning, she went to the hospital to be induced, already knowing this was going to be a a hard, difficult, tragic day, as she began labor and delivery. We ended that week, um, both of us hurting. Our our church family really rallied around us, and and we had a memorial service uh, for the little one. But we were both hurting, We both had lots of tears, and we both had a strong faith in God. We both reached out to God for help, but it didn't take long to begin to feel the tension of of two people coping with grief in different ways, two people dealing with pain in different ways. We had a good marriage, but that loss just about wrecked it. We had strong faith. I was a, a pastor but that loss just about wrecked it. We were a happy family, had three kids, and that grief just about wrecked it. For several years, we we struggled, and Susan would cry every day. I wanted to feel better. I wanted to walk out of the valley. I I got better, and, and as I saw Susan struggling, my prayer became, God, can you help us? get done faster with this grief. And yet, um, fast is not an adjective that God seems to honor when we are struggling. And, And with two people, my fast didn't really match her need. My prayers, you know, God, help her finish crying. Help her stop crying. And you know what happens if you put a lid on emotions that intense. It bottles up inside and makes you sick, right? So my prayers were unanswered. Susan's prayer, God help me, seemed to be slow in coming. She felt very deeply the questions, why did our baby die? Why did God allow this? What what might we have done to have caught what was happening and avoid this pain? And and why is one of those questions, and I think the The best word I ever heard at a funeral from someone else was, uh, why is the question that echoes and resonates all over today? But there's no answer that will bring back the person that you're mourning. There's no answer, why God? There's no answer that'll stop the pain. It's a part of the valley experience. Relief came slowly. Healing did come. But ever so slowly, where does my help come from? We chose to to reach out to God, decided um, and made a conscious decision that, that it would be better to go through this with God than to try to go it alone. And not everybody ends up in that place. Sometimes that becomes where we're stuck in our grief, where we're angry at God and and we're hurting so deeply, and we just kind of camp out right there. And it's hard to get past that. I I found something during that season that that became uh, a word of hope. I felt it was a word of hope that I would share as I still had to do funerals. I, I still had to be pastor. I still had to baptize babies. And every time I did, my wife and family was right there on the front row and that afternoon would be a a day of tears as we didn't get to do that. So that that favorite thought that that I found was this, that, that grief is given to us by God to help deal with the hurt that death causes. Grief is the process of letting go, not forgetting. It's the process of letting go. It touches all that we feel inside And someone once said, grief helps to relieve the part of the pain that can be relieved and to endure the part that we will always feel. The object is not to forget the person, but to remember and to be able to go on living. There's a couple truths that I would share that I I think help us kind of get uh, a a way to navigate this valley. And the first truth is that Tragedy triggers questions. Uh, pain in our lives triggers spiritual questions, that God question. God, where were you when I needed you? Why are you so silent? Why did this hurt happen to me, my family, my life? Those questions come rather quickly. And, and if you're already exploring, if you're already you know, looking to God but not quite maybe in faith tragedy really throws that up quickly and sometimes people end up at the point of christianity really doesn't make sense because after all i'm i'm really wiped out and hurting or god doesn't make sense why why is this so difficult to find god in my time of need the second truth is that tragedy doesn't give us bitterness and pain it reveals it amplifies, it exposes what the heart already contains. All along life, uh, we accumulate hurts and, and, and difficulties and the memories and our interpretations of all that. And, and I would say I, I preached on this scripture a number of times in my ministry, and, and every time as I get older, it gets a little harder. This is not the same sermon I did when I was 30, and everything was rosy. Uh, we've had other difficulties as well that, that really uh, plumbs the depths of can I trust God with all of life? Uh, will God help me through this part of life? This sermon has changed as has my experience of navigating the questions. I do want to say that, that I don't have all the answers and neither does our, our faith necessarily guarantee that you'll have all the answers, but we do always have hope. And I think that's the bottom line, that the message of faith is not that that Christians won't ever suffer and die. So Christians aren't promised that you won't suffer. The message of faith, the Easter message applies, even though it's not quite yet Easter the grave is not the final word, the grave is not the end of us, that there is something on the other side of death. That's the message of faith. That's the hope that, uh, that gives us the strength to keep walking. For those who struggle with God's silence, I would say the Old Testament and the New Testament give us lots of friends. We have good company. You know the largest category within the book of Psalms are the lament psalms, the the complaint psalms. And lest anybody feel like, you know, my prayers sound a lot like my phone calls to my best friend, you know, complain, complain, complain. uh, God doesn't ever hit the mute button. Uh, God has the capacity to to receive whatever shape your prayers come in. And and the psalms back that up. Uh, Those lament psalms, those psalms of, of grief, and, and weeping were prayers that, that somebody offered up in the valley, in the darkness. We have a whole book entitled Lamentations. A whole book given to the lament. It's not out of bounds and it's not a bad form to complain in a prayer. What you find in the Bible are people that, that often the end of those laments contain a note, yet will I trust. Yet will I walk with my God, even in the silence. God has a way of redeeming the brokenness of life. For us, the the three years, and I say three years, because I'm probably minimizing it again. It was more than three years for Susan. But during our time of grief and agony and, and trying to navigate that hard season, there were several other couples in my church that also lost a child, a baby at birth. And as I sat with them, as we listened to them and prayed with them, uh, it, was, it was kind of okay when, when the moment came to say, you know, we have walked this way too, and we kind of know how you feel. You can't say, you know, I know how you feel. It's not the same to say, I see where you're struggling. You don't know until you've walked that way. And it's probably not always the first response to say, I know how you feel, because that's a very unique journey for everyone in struggle. But to say that we've also walked this path was, was an encouragement to them. And God began to redeem our pain and our agony and our struggle. And I found a scripture that talked about that God equips us with his grace to turn around and reach into that dark tunnel and take the hand of the next person on the same path that you've just gotten out of. And so many times we get out of the valley and like, I'm never going back. And yet God in his mercy has equipped you The grace that you received is grace that you could offer to the next person in that place. God often uses people to encourage other people. The journey of faith is not always one of offering a prayer up to God and then just waiting for the answer we want. The Apostle Paul wrestled with a pain. He called it a thorn in the flesh that that just wouldn't go away. He had prayed for the sick and and seen instantaneous response. The lame walked, the lepers were cleansed, the dead came back to life. Paul prayed, and God did that for others. And Paul writes, "I, I pleaded three times, God, take this away, take this affliction away, heal my own affliction, three times. And God's response, God was not silent to Paul. And Paul was authentic enough to offer this up to the church. And sometimes I would admit that we don't always like God's answer. Um, And maybe silence is merciful for a season. God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. And so Paul kind of shifts gears and says, well, I guess I'll boast all the more in my weakness so Christ's power may rest on me. And for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness. I'm not sure. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, goes there in some of his journal entries. I praise God that I got rocks thrown at me after the sermon today. We we don't necessarily follow in that track very easily. But Paul goes there. I'm going to delight in insult and hardship and persecution and struggle. For when I'm weak, then I am strong. I would just take us back to the psalm. Where does my help come from? Our help comes from the maker of heaven and earth. Our help comes from the God who who watches by night and by day. And that God is in the business of being our helper, our refuge, our strength. There are psalms that, that talk about the roles of God. The God who walks beside us, in the valley. That God wants to redeem our mistakes, our sinful choices, our selfish tendencies. Redemption, God takes a life that maybe is going to be wasted and redeems it for His own purpose and plan. So we go back to that inscription on the the wall in the cellar of a city, Cologne, Germany, where a number of people, children of God, were hid for four months during the war. And as I dug a little deeper into the story, they said they survived. It wasn't that um, they died or they were... You know, there's all kinds of variations that pastors have created or embellished. And this one reporter uh, was, was happy to share. I found an article in a Swiss paper that those nine Jewish people hiding, just trying to evade the Gestapo, made it four months, and then moved on to a safe place. There were uh, Catholic resistance members in Cologne, Germany. Part of the resistance movement that we don't always realize there were people in Germany that weren't necessarily sold out to the Nazi machine. They they rediscovered some underground passageways and uh, the bomb shelters that were there, um, from the previous World War and, and things that had just kind of fallen out of public knowledge. And they began to put together a network underground that resembled a little bit of, of the um, catacombs in Rome for the early Christians. Out of sight, not a place where people want to go. And they began to, to use that to uh, shield people from the Gestapo, to create safe spaces for those that were in hiding. And at one point, there were nine fugitives uh, that made four months in that space without being caught. And the reporter uh, that went back found this report from a 1946 article in Switzerland. When I visited that shelter, I had the opportunity to see for myself the emergency housing, the fully equipped kitchen, bedrooms, living room, radio, a small library, and oil lamps, evidence of the harrowing experience. Meals were only prepared at night because if the cooking smoke went out by day, the Gestapo would see and investigate and find. Food was only prepared at night. Had to be supplied by friends of the resistance who willingly took their, their meager ration and cut it in half so that those that didn't have anything would have a little. And for weeks they lived in utter darkness. And this inscription is what was actually written on the, the wall of one of those underground rooms. I believe in the sun, though it be dark. I believe in God, though he be silent. I believe in neighborly love, though it's unable to reveal itself. That context maybe changed a little bit the, the meaning of the quotation. Those fugitives hiding underground never saw the sun for four months. It wasn't there for them. It sounds like God was silent during that period, and, and the actual phrase has been adjusted to, that's the middle phrase, and God's silence is, is the one thing that they didn't celebrate, but they accepted. But charity, benevolence, neighborly love, compassion, uh, those things were very present and those things they counted on every moment. People were risking their lives to keep them safe. People were sharing their rations and loving their neighbors. Although that love, like them, had to be hidden. And so the, the contemporary reporter kind of reshapes the, the quote in this way. He said, it, it jumps from German to English, and, and there's been a, a number of attempts to capture the original, and this is what he posed in his thoughts. I believe in the sun, even in the darkness. I believe in God, even if God is silent. I believe in compassion, even when it must remain hidden. I want to end with a a scripture from the book of Lamentations, lest you think uh, Lamentations is only sorrow and complaining. Lamentations chapter 3 I remember, and my soul is downcast within me. I remember my affliction and my wandering. Yet this is what I will call to mind, and this is why I have hope. Because the Lord's great love is not consuming us. His compassions never fail. They're actually new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Will you pray with me? Lord God, this morning we may be in a hard place. Somebody listening may be in the darkness. And we have a, a chance to, to place our, our pain at the foot of the cross. We have a chance to, to offer up our, our disappointments with life and maybe where we are in our circumstances, and to put that at the foot of the cross. And, and to kind of renew our trust and say, God, I feel very much the struggles of this life. I feel the pain of this moment. Yet I will trust. Yet I will have hope. Yet I recall your great faithfulness. And if a whole book of the Bible can be dedicated to the lament, God, we we trust that you would not be offended with a few minutes if we need to complain as we pray to you. Hear our prayers in this coming week, and maybe we're praying for others that are in that valley of of struggle. And God, we we just thank you for your faithfulness, and we pray that um, even in the, the silence, we would hold on to hope in whatever form it presents itself. Amen. I just want to mention that that your offerings are an important part of our worship, an important part of the support that uh, St. John's counts on. And if you uh, did not give your offering yet, uh, if you're online, there is a place to do that on the website. But if you're present, uh, we have a new kind of offering box at both front doors and at the back of the middle aisle. Will you receive the benediction this morning? God reaches out to us, offering to us Uh, A listening ear, offering to us uh, strength when we're weak, offering to us extra grace when needed. And all we have to do is ask. The Scriptures invite us to, to seek and to knock and to not give up. And my prayer is that you would know God's presence in your time of need. Amen.